Hello and welcome to this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. I'm excited to bring you part two of our interview with author, novelist, painter and speaker Michael D. O'Brien, a true prophet of our times. In this episode, we discuss the end times and why Michael feels that the great apostasy predicted in the scriptures has indeed begun. And let's begin, as we always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's going to be an exciting show. Stay tuned. So one of the things you just mentioned is is probably the heart uh, of of the confusion, or at least for many. It's also one of the hardest thing for the common non-Christian men to accept about Christianity, about faith generally. That's the concept of hell. You were mentioning how mm-hmm. our Lord said you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And probably the most famous question, I ask you this also because you've been on the other side uh, in, in, in flirting with or in, into atheism and, and then come out of it. You've also argued with some of the intellectual greats of this world. And how do you, you're a lover of Jesus that, that's so evident uh, and yet you believe in this possibility of hell, eternal hell, or eternal damnation as they call it. And the big question from the world always on this thing is, well, if it, you believe in a loving God, how can a loving God send people to hell? What would you respond to that? <laughs> hell is real. Uh, Jesus speaks about the reality and the risk for all of us. Uh, of ending up there. He speaks of it several times. The book of Revelation, he is speaking again of the great risk. Look towards the final chapter of Revelation. It's very clear. There is no ambiguity. The problem with our contemporary consciousness, our ears, so to speak, our ears which have been tickled by so many alternative voices, loud voices, brilliant voices, is that we can no longer hear the voice of love speaking to us in these warnings. This is love speaking. The Lord is saying, I desire that all man be saved. He desires this, but he cannot force faith upon anyone. He cannot force salvation on anyone. To do so would be a violation of his own nature, would be a violation of love and and the moral order of the universe that he has created. So what are we to do when we meet people who simply dispense references to eternal suffering eternal exile from God as an ancient myth, a dishonored, discredited myth, which we in the modern age have evolved beyond. What do you say to such people? Well, personally, 
I look at my own psychology as an individual during my years of agnosticism and atheism. I look at the pride which blinded me. I'm an intelligent guy, so I can read really, really intelligent books and regurgitate massive rationalist thought, massive amount of it. I can sound pretty convincing. And in those years, I sounded pretty convincing, but I was blind. And the very nature of such blindness is that you cannot see your own blindness. You're inside yourself, and you're especially, especially unable to see reality if you're convinced of your own superiority, your own superior vision. So blind was I that it took a divine mercy of extraordinary mercy from our Lord to shatter in an instant all my conceptions which I had carefully built up in the 1960s by reading existential philosophy and New Age thought and, and all the modern rationalists, Jean-Paul Sartre, Camus, all, all these other brilliant minds, sometimes very creative minds, but dead letters dead words, ultimately not reality. How do you speak through as one who has met the Lord, who has seen the nature of the great war in the heavens, who has seen the malice and deceits of the enemy infesting even your own heart, mind? How do you speak to those still trapped in that? It's a great dilemma for me because everyone is at different stages of perceptual consciousness and psychological um, openness and also intellectual entrapment or freedom. At the very least, you have to see each of us, each of us who follow Christ, who seek to follow him wholeheartedly, have to say, to Jesus in prayer, be, be within me this, this moment, Lord, meeting this person, this person who's screaming in my face, or this person who is uh, downloading endless rationalism in brilliant language. How do you penetrate through those force fields? You are the word. You are a living member of the body of Christ. And if you invoke him to be within your heart, soul, mind, and the Holy Spirit, he will give you the words to say. They may be very simple. They may be, in the face of a tsunami of rationalism, only this. I once thought as you. I know your arguments. But then I met Jesus. He who, he who loves you with a love you can't fathom right now. He loves you. You don't know him yet. One day you'll know him. One day you'll meet him. And that's my belief. I think our task, our missionary task at this time of history is primarily, without negating all the other dimensions of evangelization, is primarily to pray for souls to pray and sacrifice for souls with much fasting as well. One of the 
where this ends up, and it's many pastors that, that now do this, they teach and or preach um, the concept of an empty hell, or a, their answer to that question is to basically abandon the question, just to say, oh, it's yes. all nonsense anyway. But this is now not only, it, it's very common among yes. pastors, among prelates even, yes. to make this suggestion, to teach this suggestion, uh, one of the things Pope Benedict said um, recently was, uh, in, e even in retirement, that was that you know without that impetus to save people from hell, uh, what would have happened to the impetus for the martyrs who came to evangelize uh, and, and got killed? What would you say to a pastor who is given to this theory of or hope of an empty hell and who's preaching this? I would say... Dear Pastor, you are trying to reassure your flock, but you are trying to reassure them with a placebo. They need the fullness of the truth. They need the words of Christ. They need the words and the witness of the martyrs and apostles. They need to be warned. They need, they need to be awakened. You can do it with sensitive pastoral language if you wish, but they do need to be awakened. It is a heresy to say that there is no eternal damnation. It's the heresy of universalism. To go halfway and say, well, there is hell, the Lord says there's a hell, but there's probably no one in that, is presuming far too much, and it is also uh, counter-scriptural. The Lord warns us, many fall into it. Wide is the road that leads to perdition, and many fall into it. Narrow is the gate that leads to paradise. Okay. This is hard. These are hard sayings of Jesus. We've always called them hard sayings. But what, what heart of a father would say, say to their child, Oh, I love you so much. I love you tenderly. I want to see you happy and peaceful. I want to see you exercise your own freedom. Yes, if you feel convinced that you wish to play ball in the middle of the 401 freeway, if you wish to run into traffic, I want you to know that I always support you. What does a true father do? He says, my child, if you do that, if you run into traffic again, you will die. You will be harmed at the very least, severely harmed. I love you so much that I'm not going to let you do that. And if the will to radical autonomy is such in a child, understandable in little children, Understandable to a degree in adolescence, uh, but with grown adults, can you wrap your arms around them and pull them away from the traffic when they say, there's no danger, there's no traffic, I won't die. What does one do? If it's your own children, you can wrap your arms around them and drag them away. What do you do with the human race in general? I think all you can do is be faithful to the word that says, 
wait. Do not go there. You will die. Pretty simple. Some would say simplistic, but it's reality. So, with all of this situation, the, the situation of, as you were saying, the great apostasy, of the massive confusion in the church, uh, even among the, the prelates who, who, who govern the church, where do you get your hope? Now, you're an Irishman, and uh-huh. you're a melancholic Irishman, yeah, but yeah. nevertheless, hopeful, you can still smile. You can... Yeah. You still pray with joy. And I know, you know, in your own life, you're having all sorts of difficulties, yet you can smile, yet you don't lose the faith. You cling even more and more and more to our Lord, especially His Holy Mother. Where does that hope come from? How do we convey that hope to people? And especially for the, the Catholics today who are living in a church replete with confusion, even when they actually see it. So for the few who are actually seeing what's happening and just suffering because of it, where are they to draw their hope from? Where we always draw it from, that is, from the springs of living water, that is, from the source of the springs, who is the Lord himself, the life within the Holy Trinity poured out for mankind through Jesus Christ, who is with us, who was, who is, and who is coming. But he is with us right now. I derive my own sense of hope uh, through primarily the Eucharist and the sacrament of reconciliation, confession, by an ongoing faithfulness to constant conversion. And I'm in constant need of conversion. Uh, And living in that poverty accepting to be poor, that I really need a savior every day of the life. So little by little, as one matures in the Holy Spirit, you can come to an inner condition where you say, I cannot save mankind, I cannot even save myself. I cannot save the church in its time of severe crisis. What I can do is be faithful to Jesus Christ, to be everything He teaches us we should be if we seek to follow him with our whole hearts, to learn from the saints, from the teachings of our true shepherds, the popes who've gone before, to learn from the experiences which divine providence uh, brings into our lives and shapes us with. By prayer, that when we are discouraged, When we feel angry, when we feel tempted to dismay or despair, we don't curl inwards to our own resources. We run immediately to the Lord and say, Here I am, Lord, here I am. You see my anger, you see see my grief, my grief over the condition of the church. Lord, Lord, I give you my little sufferings, united to your cross, for the purification and the strengthening of the church, that we may may bear the light, that we may continue to be salt of the earth for other souls. Hope is a supernatural virtue. It's not optimism. It's very different from, from 
faith and love, right? although there's dimensions of supernatural gift in both. But hope is a particularly unique kind of grace which we have to ask the Lord for. Um, if I may add, especially we Irish melancholics must particularly ask for. Natural optimists, good for you, I'm glad you're optimists. But um, there will come a time when all of us will be tested in the dimension of interior hope. So for me, this is a horribly long answer to a short question. But it's so crucial, I think, for the times that we are entering into more and more. We will need hope in a way we have not until now. We must keep our eyes on the true horizon, the eyes of the heart, the eyes of the soul, the true horizon. The Lord is coming. He is near. He will purify the church. He will bring mercy and truth to mankind. And in him we have to trust. Beautiful. Let me just ask you one last thing, and that is about Our Lady. I know you have a devotion to her. You have yes. beautiful icons, which to me bespeak of your love for Our Lady, because I see in her eyes the love with which you created the image. And, and um, So what what is Our Lady to you? What is Our Lady to the Church right now? Oh, you're asking me to condense an ocean into a, a little teacup. <coughs> Our Lady. I think she is God's great gift um, to accompany Christ as Redeemer. In a sense, she is co-redemptrix. In a subsidiary sense, united to Jesus on the cross, and in the resurrection. But touching upon her role in our own times, she has always been, been our mother intercessor. She has always been prophetic, bringing words of warning to the church at its times of gravest crisis. The last 170 years of Marian apparitions approved by the church are a continual maternal call to repentance, to prayer, to intercession, for the conversion of our own hearts, lest justice fall upon mankind. The justice that we have called down upon ourselves. Heaven desires to pour out mercy on mankind, but if we do not repent, the Lord will not allow evil to continue to devour the good indefinitely, ad infinitum. It is mercy that will bring the times of the apocalypse to their definitive conclusion. It is mercy. We tend to think of it as justice. It is justice, but it is primarily mercy, that the reign of evil will end. What is Our Lady's role? There is that most beautiful passage uh, in Genesis, where uh, the reference is to the woman, I will set enmity between you and the woman, your offspring and her offspring, and she will crush the head of the serpent. Then in the final book of sacred scriptures, 
Genesis forward to Revelation, we have the great vision of St. John of the woman clothed with the sun. Okay, the crown of 12 stars. We're all familiar with the iconography of this in Western and Eastern art. But this is the role of not only the church, it's a type of the church, but it, uh, the woman of Revelation, but the woman clothed with the sun, standing on the moon, surrounded by 12 stars. She is also Mary. She is our mother. She is the new Eve. And in her assistance, assisting the redemption of mankind in an absolutely unique manner, God in his mercy has allowed poor word, the reversal, more, more accurately, the restoration of man through Christ, but through Christ the new Adam, Mary the new Eve. This is love at work in salvation history. I keep in mind, and I pray often, the promise of Genesis, which, if the apocalypse is to unfold in its final phases in our lifetimes, we will see incarnated in her crushing the head of the serpent. What form that will take, I don't know. Surely part of it will be our prayers assisting her prayers to the Father. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. Thank you, Michael. Oh, I meant to show, I want to be short <laughs> info by answers. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That's all the time we oh, have for this recording. episode. No, that's great. That's all the time we have for this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. From the beautiful Ottawa Valley, may God bless you and keep you, and we'll see you next time.